As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. It's Civilized Barking. I'm Zach Jackson. It's another big game week for the Cleveland Browns, 9-4. and four. Uh, Headed to a second straight national TV game. I know that's strange. This is all strange. Uh, the Browns are good. They played well for two, two and a half quarters on Monday. They were left for dead and came back. Uh, we're all just catching our breath here in this strange week, but they have to bounce back. Um, a little juice, at least on the outside, it came Thursday morning when we got the announcement that Jason Garrett will not be coaching. That means Freddie Kitchens will be calling the plays for the Giants. And then more news Thursday afternoon is Giants top corner, James Bradbury. One of the top corners in the league is going to go on the COVID list. He won't be available. Um, so first, guys, thank you guys for listening throughout the year. Uh, thanks for reading. Thanks for sticking with us. We hope you're enjoying this wild ride. The Browns are trying to. They can't officially clinch on Sunday. They can get really close with the win. So uh, I've brought on my colleague, Dan Duggan. He covers the Giants out on the East Coast where the Browns are headed, not just this Sunday, but next Sunday. We're going to talk about the game, the stakes, Sunday night football, all that. Uh, Dan, let's start with the news of the really the last five minutes as we sat down to record. James Bradbury is a really good player, a really important player for a good defense. Um, this is not hyperbole to say this is huge, huge news and a huge blow to the Giants, correct? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there'll be some debate. I think he's been their best player, and I don't, I don't even think it is debatable because when you consider the fact that he's playing a premium position at cornerback. I mean, they have Blake Martinez and Leonard Williams who are playing, you know, linebacker and defensive line, respectively, who are having very strong seasons. But, uh, you know, Bradbury has far and away their number one corner and, and the drop off between him and number two Isaac Yadam is dramatic so uh, he's a guy that they've been able to put on opposing teams number one receivers at times they, they sort of had to get away from that because the rest of the secondary is is so suspect they've had to play a lot of zone they can't just afford to you know put Bradbury on DK Metcalf because Tyler Lockett would have gone off but um, that is their ideal plan again they haven't been able to do that this season but Bradbury has been Everything they had hoped, they, you know, they gave him a big free agent contract and he's lived up to it and then some. So, I mean, I know Cleveland is, you know, more of a run-heavy team. So maybe if you could pick an opponent for this to happen again, against better now than against, you know, DeAndre Hopkins or, or DK Metcalf. But uh, it's a huge blow and it'll have a trickle-down effect 
on this whole defense because you're just, you know, like I said, Isaac Yadam is, is no great number two corner. And now you're going to be sliding up. I don't even really know who at this point to number three corner because uh, they've had corners kind of dropping like flies lately. So they are going to have to really scramble just to sort of patch the secondary together on Sunday night. It is a strange year. Um, that's for sure on a lot of fronts. I mean, the Browns went months without one COVID case in their building. And then they had, I think six of eight days where guys tested positive. Miles Garrett missed two games. And now the giants, it affects the coaching staff and, and one of their best players. Um, I, you know, Dan, I don't know this number, but I think we're under the understanding that a big Sunday night football game, there'd be more cameras anyway. And I think a lot of them were already going to find Freddie Kitchens, <laughs> right? Given the storylines, but now he's calling the plays. So as someone who covers the Giants, you know, how well have you guys gotten to know Freddie? Have they kind of kept him out of the spotlight? And and then, of course, most importantly, what really do you think will be different uh, in their approach come Sunday night? Yeah, I mean, not well at all, unfortunately, as I'm sure you can probably relate to this sort of Zoom beat reporting. It's a totally different dynamic. And obviously, assistant coaches aren't necessarily the most available anyways. But, you know, I think we've gotten him probably a handful of times just sort of sprinkled throughout the season. Um, you know, Freddie has been very kind of guarded. I know he is known for having a pretty big personality. He's always very cordial, but he gives basically nothing. So it's funny. They do the assistant Zoom rooms like a couple at the same time. I don't even usually go to his because they've been so dry. You know, you'll ask him a question about Evan Ingram struggling and you just get absolutely nothing in response. Now, I'm even this week, obviously, before we even knew everything that would go down, Jason Garrett and the fact that um, Freddie would call him plays, he was still, you know, an intriguing figure, but he gave very little um, on the idea of going back to face Cleveland. You know, it was complimentary of the Browns, but really didn't kind of go there on, a, on any type of topic that would have been, you know, headline worthy. So, I mean, he's certainly... Uh, deliberately kept a low profile. I don't know how he was, you know, with the media in Cleveland, but again, he seems like a guy who has a personality and he's definitely just chosen not to show it. Um, as far as, you know, what him calling plays will mean. I mean, I don't know. You, you would know a lot better about him as a play goal. Cause obviously I've only seen him as a tight ends coach. And I can't say I was locked in on the Browns the last couple of years. Um, I don't think it'll be drastically different because, you know, Jason Garrett has, you know, been the offensive coordinator all season he was the offensive coordinator when this game plan was put in for the Browns defense. So it's not as if, you know, Freddie gets to take over and, you know, kind of have the reins. He's just kind of going to follow through whatever plan the offensive staff and Joe Judge came together, um, you know, for this matchup. Garrett is still participating in Zoom calls. I mean, the Giants didn't even go to the facility today because of Garrett's positive test. So really, uh, nothing has changed for him yet. Now, of course, you know, third and three in the fourth quarter on Sunday – That'll be, you know, Freddie Kitchens' call. That'll obviously be a little bit different and that, you know, he might have a, uh, a tendency that Jason Garrett doesn't, but they're going to be calling from the same play sheet. There's certainly no time for him to, to institute any dramatic changes. It's going to be a continuation of what they've done all season. Like I said, there just may be a situation where Garrett might have run and, and Freddie will pass or vice versa, but I don't think it's uh, anything where you're going to see them come out and run, you know, five wides and do something crazy that they've never done all season. I think it's going to be uh, look very similar and just with the minor tweak, just based on each play call, his personality. Oh, then you really don't know Freddie if you think that. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess first and foremost, who's going to be the quarterback? Do you, do you expect Daniel Jones to be good to go? I don't. Um, you know, this even them having to cancel practice on, you know, we're talking here on Thursday. This is a blow because, you know, every day was going to be important to see him on the field, see how he, he responded. Because, I mean, he was dealing with the hamstring going into the Arizona game and did not look good at all. And then in the process, sprained his ankle on his other leg. So now he's got a, a sprained left ankle and a, a pulled right hamstring. That's a, you know, he's like a game of operation right now. It's, it's not a good combination. 
And, and he showed in that Arizona game that he has a ways to go as a quarterback when you just make him stay in the pocket. I mean, he was sacked six times, fumbled three times. Um, you know, he's a guy who has really found success this year by using his legs. So if you make him just a, a stationary packet, a pocket passer, uh, he didn't prove that he could handle that. Now you had another injury. I mean, he did not move around great. Uh, the little bit of practice we got to see on Wednesday. I mean, I guess we you know, can always see what happens on Friday. Uh, I just have a hard time imagining them putting him back out there after seeing how you know he played in a limited capacity against Arizona. At the same time, you know, having seen him play against Arizona, I don't think he should have played that game. So my opinion may not, you know, coincide with how Joe Judge, you know, sees things. His whole point has been if he feels Jones can protect himself in the pocket, you know, he's not, you know, at a risk to further, um, you know, aggravate that hamstring, then he'll play him. I just, I just don't know. I don't know how you could have watched that game last Sunday and say, hey, if he looks the same, we're good with rolling him out there again. I think they have to step back and say, you know, a 50% Daniel Jones. I mean, it's, it's pretty damning if you're going to say that's still better than Colt McCoy. Um, who obviously people in Cleveland are familiar with, and he certainly is not, uh, you know, a, a very dynamic player by any stretch. But he did go in the game in Seattle, did not, you know, do anything, you know, particularly uh, outstanding, but was able to keep, kind of keep the offense on track and the defense carried with that win. So uh, if Daniel Jones looks the way he has, I, I think you have to go with Colt McCoy, and that's certainly not not ideal. But I, I don't think it's ideal to play Daniel Jones on, you know, one leg, or he doesn't really have two. He doesn't have a healthy leg right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's an issue, uh, and and trust me, from past Browns Decembers, we're all too familiar with these things going on. Um, for the guys who run the Browns, you know, this is about evaluation. It's about trying to get to the playoffs and see where you really stand. Um, for Browns fans, this is about burying the demons. And as the Browns get on Sunday Night Football for only the second time since two thousand eight, uh, they could be looking at Freddie Kitchens and Colt McCoy. So they're <laughs> looking some of those ghosts right in the face. So. Um, <laughs> But what it comes down to, Dan, this week is both teams need a win, right? The Giants are a game out in their division. Um, the Browns are on the doorstep of the playoffs, but not quite there yet and and really, you know, cannot afford another slip. So what what are the Giants doing better? They're clearly playing better in the second half of the year. And, and you know, is this team capable, with all that's working against them, of putting together an effort good enough to beat uh, beat the Browns on Sunday night? Well, listen, I mean, like I said, they went into Seattle with Colt McCoy and won. So I, I'm certainly not counting them out. I mean, that was um, very impressive and really kind of made me a believer. Of course, they went right back and, and laid an egg against Arizona this past weekend. So sort of sort of even things out a bit. But no, you see that performance in Seattle and you certainly can't just count this team out. Uh, it's totally been their defense that has carried them. Their defense and their run game. It's a very you know old school uh, style even when they were having some success there it wasn't because Daniel Jones was uh, playing you know tremendously as a passer it was more that he just limited the turnovers I mean they struggled to score 20 points uh, they're the only team scoring less than them in the NFL right now is the Jets so that that kind of says something um, but this is an interesting matchup because Cleveland I mean I know they just put up a million points I mean the, the Giants could probably you know do a seven on seven drill and not put up 40 something points but um you know, it is kind of a smash mouth type team, and the the strength of the Giants by far is their run defense. They're very tough to run against. They have a very stout defensive line. You know, I mentioned Blake Martinez. Is, you know, he's a tackling machine in the middle of the defense. Uh, I, would, I would assume Cleveland, especially with Bradbury out, you know, may try to open it up a bit. But you're going to be talking about you know Sunday night in East Rutherford. You know, it might not be the best conditions to throw. I mean, looking at my window now, we got about eight inches or a foot of snow. Um, so, you know, it might just be a, you know, a smash mouth, you know, three yards in the cloud of dust type game. And that's what the Giants kind of need to win anyways. So, 
Uh, I, I, you know, I definitely think they have a, a puncher's chance. They have a puncher's chance in any game because of how well their defense is played. But when you start kind of adding up with, you know, you're going to have a different play caller. You're not going to have James Bradbury. You're probably not going to have your starting quarterback. That does add up. I mean, because Cleveland obviously uh, is playing at a higher level and, you know, has all season. So uh, the Giants are underdogs, you know, for good reason. Yeah, no, I think you said it right before. I mean, the Browns are still a run first team and they have the absolute best one-two running back punch in the league. Uh, they have an offensive line that can stake its claim as the best, certainly one of the three or five best in the league. But the last couple of weeks, they have unlocked the passing game um, in various ways. And as soon as I saw the Bradbury news, I just thought, well, I just don't think, you know, that the Giants can keep up. I think that the Browns will find a way, you know, to, even if it's a little bit of a slog early, even if they're a little bit hungover early, I think the Browns are going to get to 20 to 24 to 27. And without the help of turnovers, I don't think the Giants can. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. And again, like we, you know, we got the Bradbury news right before we started this. I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge blow. And like you said, Cleveland has been clicking a bit in the passing game. So I would think that they're going to uh, be open to airing it out a little bit more. But yeah, I don't, I don't see how the Giants, whether it's an injured Daniel Jones or, you know, Colt McCoy, I don't see them putting up, you know, 24, 27 points, which I think will be necessary to win. Um, and, and again, I said that the strength of the Giants defense is their run, uh, you know, stoppers up front. But like I said, Cleveland, you know, they can basically run on anybody. So it's a little bit of strength against strength there. So I'm not projecting that the Giants are going to come out and shut them down because they have had a few games where uh, teams have run on them. But it's just the type of matchup if you're going to draw it up for the Giants. Okay, you're going to try and run against us. Well, that's at least playing into our strength. Uh, and again, with Bradbury out, I think you still hope that that's, that's Cleveland's game plan. And, and you just hope that those guys up front for the Giants can can you know, make big plays. And, and like I said, you mentioned turnovers. That's going to have to be key because I definitely don't think the Giants are going to be able to you know, mount long drives numerous times with the, with the quarterback situation. So um, it, it, it definitely it, it lines up as not a great matchup for the Giants. But again, like I said, that Seattle game, it, it's, you know, I had to at least, I can't dismiss them in any game because I had thought they had no shot in that and they, and they pulled out a pretty impressive win. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, so this is a little complicated for me, Dan, because um, I don't think that there is an answer. And if there is, it certainly doesn't matter to either team at this point. But who won the Odell Beckham trade? <laughs> yeah, that's been the, the topic of the week. I mean, it's, that's what's killing me when that, you, know, you knew they were going to play Cleveland this year. And then the schedule came out, and it was a week 15. It was like, ah, you just had a bad feeling that you, know, you wanted to see Odell play. And, and obviously with him being injured, that, that takes so much of the juice away. And we were talking about you know, storylines and Freddie Kitchens and, and Colt McCoy, that's all great. But I mean, if Odell was coming back to MetLife, I mean, it would have been electric. Um, you know, we saw what he did against the Jets last year and obviously wasn't even the team that traded him. 
Um, so that that definitely takes a lot of the, the sizzle out of this matchup. As far as who won the trade, I mean, I'm actually writing something for tomorrow. It's, I wouldn't say it's like a pet peeve, but I think it's kind of strange that we all do it. Like we, we try to determine who won a trade. I mean, once the trade is done, like who cares what happens on the other side? You know what I mean? The Giants, that was a huge trade. You got rid of Odell. But then you brought in Jabril Peppers, you end up trading, I mean, drafting Dexter Lawrence and drafting O'Shane Zimenez. All that really matters is how those guys perform for you. I mean, sure, it'd be worse if Odell went and had 1,500 yards. Um, but the fact that he tore his ACL this year, in my opinion, that doesn't make the trade any better for the Giants. I mean, they've won, I think, what, 10 games since they made that trade. So it's hard for them to sit there and puff their chest up and say, we won the trade. Because obviously Cleveland um, has had more success since the trade. And I know that, you know, there's a ton of variables that go into beyond that trade. But... I think when you look at it from a Giants perspective, um, you know, I definitely was very critical of the trade at the time, and I've definitely had to come around. And, and mostly, again, it's because of the guys that the Giants acquired. I still think this offense, you can't look at this offense that we just spent 10 minutes saying is basically inept and say, oh, they didn't need a guy like Odell. I mean, that's probably their number one need is a, a game-breaking number one wide receiver. I know he hasn't necessarily been that in Cleveland, but trust me, he's worlds better than the guys who are here and, and Golden Tate, who they brought in to replace him. So... Um, he is still missed, but Peppers is the guy who has really changed my opinion. I mean, he's playing at a super high level this season, which, um, you know, he was kind of middling his first two years in Cleveland, was more of the same last year. And somehow Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator, is this mad genius and has just finally figured out how to like harness his strengths and, and sort of mask his weaknesses. And he just flies around and, and is making plays and is in the backfield. Uh, they don't ask him to cover a ton, but he's improved there. I mean, he is a guy who's like really taking his game to another level. I, I thought he was sort of you know, just a guy. Like he was an athlete, but wasn't a great football player. But um, that has certainly changed. The draft picks, I mean, Dexter Lawrence is a very solid player. I don't know if with the 17th pick taking like a run-stuffing defense alignment was the best use of resources, but that's a whole other Dave Gettleman conversation we can have about uh, allocation <laughs> of resources. Um, but he's no doubt he's a good player, and, he, and he's helped this defense be very stout. Um, so, I, I mean, I think if you're the Giants, you're happy with the trade. Like winning the trade again, like I know Cleveland's having success now without Odell, so you can you can just look at it from the Giants and say we won the trade. But I'm not sure that Cleveland has any real regrets. Uh, I mean, you would obviously be able to answer that better than me. Um, you know, obviously they felt they needed Odell. He brought something, or he was injured last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly from the Giants side, they have no regrets. I'd like to see them, you know, win a few more games before they say they like won the trade decisively and maybe score a few more points before they start celebrating running out, you know, a, a dynamic wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, th that's kind of how I feel. Like, you know, Baker and Odell never fully have clicked mm -hmm. for, for a lot of reasons. But, like, every time Baker completes a four-yard pass, there's a faction of fans here who say, see, they're better without Odell. <laughs> and I'm like, no, like, Odell changes everything about the defensive game plan. You know, right. like, Odell has only had a couple of big games, but, you know, part of the Browns being 9-4 and four this year is Odell won them the Dallas game. Right. You know, Odell made some big plays when they needed him to stretch out some leads, right? Um, to me, it was just unprecedented because they had signed him to that mega deal just a year before. just And then six, eight months later, he's gone, right? Yeah. So, so that, to me, was the surprising thing, and that was a little bit buyer beware. Um, I, I think – I'm not saying Odell was low maintenance, right, at all. <laughs> um, but I think – my my impression from everyone I've talked to, players and non-players, is he is loved in the Browns locker room. He is about football. He wants to win. And it just, you know, it hasn't worked. Last year was a mess for a lot of reasons. And this year, he, he got hurt in week seven. Um, the Browns offense has found its stride. But to me, they're just, they're not better without Odell Beck.
Right, right. No, and I, I found the same way. I mean, trust me, when the, all this stuff was going on with him here, editors were saying, you know, find out, you know, what's going on with the dirt. You know, teammates must hate this guy. And just to a man, I, I could not find anybody on the record, off the record, to say any bad things about him. I mean, sure, he loves the spotlight and he can be his own worst enemy with some of the stuff he says publicly or social media. I mean, it's sort of like welcome to the 21st century. I mean, he's one of the few guys who is like a crossover celebrity too. You know, he's not just a, you know, known in football circles. Everybody knows Odell. And he, I don't think he's ever really quite grasped how to handle that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was well-liked guy within the locker room. Certainly Giants have sort of a rigid, you know, ownership group in front office and they didn't love all the, you know, quote unquote distractions and that war on them. Um, but, you know, I think that's a little bit silly and overstated because between the lines, the only successful season the Giants have had in basically a decade was 2016. And that was all the defense and Odell. Like He literally carried them to the playoffs. I know everyone wants to make a big deal about the boat trip and how he didn't play well in the playoff game. And that's all fair and true. But they don't win 11 games that season without Odell just absolutely carrying an offense that was, you know, completely powerless without him. I mean, he would just take a slant. 80 yards of the house, like once every two games. It was just, you know, it's amazing to watch. Certainly he's not that player anymore. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the stuff with him, it, it gets overblown. I mean, he can't really do anything without it becoming like, you know, talking heads are going to dissect it. But he, but he also feeds into that cycle. I mean, it, as you can tell, I have kind of conflicting feelings about him. He's a complicated guy. Like when you talk to yes. him, I'm sure you did in the locker room. He is a far more intelligent guy than I think he comes across. He's more thoughtful than he comes across. But at the same time, he just does some very impulsive things sometimes. And you're just like, oh, man, it's hard to defend that. You know, it's not like the guy who I talked to in the locker room isn't the guy who's doing the silly stuff after LSU wins the national title or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he definitely has you know, kind of gotten a bad rap, but some of it is certainly deserved. Um, so he's, he's just a really complicated, interesting guy. And, it, and it's going to be fascinating to see how he comes back from this because he really has never been the same since the big ankle injury he had for the Giants in 2017. And now you've had, you know, a couple more surgeries, a major injury this year. It's going to be fascinating to see sort of how the, the next chapter of his career plays out. Who among us has not had a long night on Bourbon Street, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, a couple things here, Dan, we'll get out of here. I, I have not seen the Giants that much, but I agree on Peppers. I saw his second year. I saw a guy um, starting to figure it out. And, you know, the athleticism was always there. I'm not sure it's his fault. He didn't really have a position in college because he could play so many. Right. Uh, and I am not surprised by by how good that he has been or how important, right? I mean, you would list him among the most important guys in, in this defensive turnaround they've made. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and, and to, just to further that point, I mean, the, the defensive job that Patrick Graham has done is phenomenal. I mean, he's a guy who was kind of way off the radar, and now he's getting head coaching buzz. And it's, got, it's because guys like Leonard Williams and Jabril Peppers, who were first-round picks, have been in the league, have had plenty of opportunities to become big-time players and really didn't for one reason or another. And then all of a sudden this year, they're, those two guys in particular are playing at the top of their game. Um, but yeah, Peppers, he, he's sort of the the really one game-changing player they have. I mean, and that was sort of the thing he didn't do, I feel like, his first three years. You know, he was always a physical guy and made tackles, but this year he's forcing fumbles, he's getting sacks, he's just making bigger plays. He had, he had a big interception late in the, one of their wins over Washington. He's just been more of a, a constant like sort of game altering presence. It really reminds me of Landon Collins when he had his great year in 2016 for the Giants, where uh, Landon Collins was very similar to Peppers, physical guy, always around the ball. But that year he just made plays. And you're seeing a little bit of that with Peppers this year. And, and it's been like, so it's been a very welcome development because last year he was, you saw some flashes, but you also saw a lot of inconsistency. And this year, you know, I think you give a lot of credit to him, you give a lot of credit to Patrick Graham. They've sort of found the groove 
And he's developed into the player I think everyone thought he could become out of Michigan. But like say, didn't have a position, didn't really know how he fit. And Patrick Graham seems to have figured out how to use him to the best of his ability. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. A couple quick updates for the Browns fans. Um, Wyatt Teller, no practice the second straight day. That usually does not mean good things, so Chris Hubbard would slide in, but... As we know, Wyatt Teller is a huge part of this, making this offensive line great. Hubbard's an experienced guy, but the Browns would miss him. Denzel Ward back at practice. Hope to have him. Um, Denzel has played one side of the field, Dan, for much of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have moved him around a little bit and, and manned him up. Shadow coverage, um, you know, kind of a combination. You know, would he be on Slayton? Would it be someone else uh, if they do feel like they need to do that with Denzel on Sunday night? I mean, I think if they're going to travel with somebody, it would be Slayton. Um, you know, Shepard might be their most, you know, kind of best all-around receiver, but he's not a game-breaker. He's a possession guy, move the sticks. You know, he'll make a big play now and then, but you certainly don't need to, you know, devote a ton of your, your you know, game plan to him. Again, he's third down, you got to know where he is. But Slayton's the guy who can take the top off the defense. He's, he's the uh, deep threat. He's made big plays throughout the season. Like, when they played Philly, Darius Slay pretty much followed him. So that was a pretty big sign of respect because – you know, Slayton has always sort of been um, the number two guy with Flash as the number one, but when another team, you know, puts their their top corner on you like that, that says something. Now, that being said, uh, Slayton hasn't really flourished in that number one role. His, his stats are really way down. He, he got to a hot start the first five games, and the last eight weeks, he really has not been uh, anywhere near as impactful. I mean, he's been dealing with injuries. I think that's that's definitely part of it. They don't want to say that, but he's been kind of on and off the injury report, and he just doesn't look quite as... Uh, fast and explosive but he's also I mean he was a great find for a fifth round pick last year but there's also reasons why he was a fifth round pick so I mean you're, you're seeing some of his weaknesses get exploited he's, he you know he's kind of struggles to get off jam coverage not a super refined route runner he's gotten better there but I mean, he's a guy who if he's going to make an impact on the game it's because he's going to you know catch a 40 yard ball over the top of the defense so um, if you're on the other side saying we need to like take a receiver out of the game he's certainly the guy but I don't know that you necessarily need to because again his production has sort of been up and down and he's not a consistent guy who's, you know, a bona fide number one. So I, I know Cleveland plays a lot of man though. So if you're probably going to put Ward on somebody, it would definitely make sense to, to put him on Slayton. Right. Uh, and then the last thing, Evan Ingram, I mean, he's a guy that's produced uh, in this league before had a slow start to the year, but it seems like he's been better. So, you know, fair to say when he's involved, the, that offense actually has a chance. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a total enigma. I mean, Giants fans, it's like, like you know, they he give it and he take it away within the, within the same game often. I mean, he'll have an interception go through his hands and then he'll catch a 50 yard ball and then he'll miss a block. Like he is just very highs and lows with him. And uh, the fan base is sort of tired of, of living that roller coaster. And I understand it. Cause you see the physical talent is definitely there as a tight end. He's definitely a, a matchup problem, but they no coaching staff has really figured out how to unlock that potential. And there's definitely a lot of inconsistencies there where, um, it just feels like there's been a disproportionate amount of turnovers, whether he was targeted and, and someone stepped in front or a ball went off his hands, or even there was a fumbled exchange on an end around. Like it just feels like a lot of bad things have found him this year. But at the same time, he's their most dynamic offensive player with, with Saquon out. So 
Uh, certainly defensively, you have to account for him. And again, he's, he'll make he'll make big plays for either team. You, just, you don't know how it's right. going to play out. Like it might be an interception off his hands that helps the opposition, or it might be a fifty yard play that helps the offense. You don't really know, and that's what keeps it certainly interesting. I'm sure everyone um, you know within the Giants would like to see a little less interesting plays and more consistent plays. But no, that's that's sort of how he's been, and it, they've just kind of had to learn to live with it because again. He is their, their most dynamic playmaker, and, and you talk about matchups. I mean, he's a tough guy to match up with for safeties, for linebackers. So uh, they sort of have to live with some of the mistakes and, and just hope they get the big plays. Yeah, for, for our listeners here in Cleveland, I wanted to make sure we closed on that. you got to circle number 88 because no Browns fan has ever seen Colt McCoy throw a ball more than four yards down the field. And no <laughs> Browns fan has seen their team cover a tight end since Paul Brown was the coach. So we have got to uh, see how that goes. Sunday night football, big one for the Browns. And for the Giants, he is Dan Duggan. You can follow him as you follow me on Twitter, and we'll get you ready with all the coverage for Sunday night football, Browns and Giants, Freddie Kitchens. Wow, you never know what's going to happen in this league. Dan, thanks for joining us. All you guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. We will talk to you, not Sunday night, Monday morning, with our post-game edition of Civilized Party.